In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. As some of you know, I have two wonderful sons and no daughters. So even though I am clueless about Disney princesses and rainbow unicorns, I am pretty, pretty well versed in Harry Potter. Both of my young adult sons read all the books, and I've sat through large chunks of a weekend marathon of all eight movies. For those of you who've been living in a cave and are unfamiliar with this saga, I will give you a brief overview. The books chronicle the life and adventures of Harry, who is a wizard, and his wizard friends and professors at Hogwarts School. Harry and most of his cohort are agents for good, fighting evil when it exerts itself. However, some of the folks in the world of wizards have chosen to work for the dark side. These folks have pledged allegiance to Lord Voldemort, the main antagonist in the novels and the leader of the dark side. And the interesting thing about Voldemort is that he was disembodied when he tried to kill Harry as a baby. So as the series begins, Voldemort has no body to inhabit. No one has seen him, even though they know he exists. Yet folks seem to be able to determine who is working for him, who is on his side. They seem to know things about his character and how he has operated in the past. I thought of this as I was reading through this beautiful prologue of John's Gospel. This passage is sheer poetry, and there is very little in way of a sermon that can adorn it. But as I read it, I was especially captured by this phrase, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. No one has ever seen God. There is no Jew of Jesus' day who would argue with this statement. Now, God had been involving himself in the nitty-gritty details of our lives since Adam. He spoke to Abraham. He came to Jacob and Joseph in dreams. He even traveled with his people in the desert as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So it's not that God's people didn't understand he was involved in their lives. Like the wizard's knowledge of Voldemort, they had an understanding of how God was working in the world, and they believed they knew who was on God's side. But for God's people, the definitive word on seeing God— comes from the story of one of his encounters with Moses. For most of his life, Moses was God's go-to guy. God appeared to him as a burning bush. God brought forth signs and miracles through Moses. God would personally give his message to Moses in the tent of meeting, and then Moses would go out and tell the people what God had said. When Moses, who had been the recipient of so much divine revelation, learned that he would not be allowed to enter the promised land, he asked God for a final favor. He wanted to see God's face. If anybody deserved to see the face of God, it was Moses. But his request was denied. God told Moses, while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses came closest to seeing God and still only got to behold the divine backside. This is the miracle of the Incarnation. 
This is the miracle that God comes and dwells among us, that this timeless, eternal God allows himself to be circumscribed by flesh, that God comes down from his heavenly throne into a stinky food trough and reveals his face to each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I haven't lifted a staff and produced a plague. I haven't used that staff to whack a rock and bring forth water for all of you. I haven't spent 40 years wandering in the desert, leading a group of mumbling, complaining folks to a land they didn't deserve. I haven't done any of this. And yet I get to look upon the face of God. In Jesus, you and I are face to face with the God whose face even Moses was not allowed to see. What does this tell us about God and about us? Well, it tells us that our God embraces all that makes us human. He embraces our weakness and our vulnerability, our suffering, and even our death. God relates to his creation from within rather than from without. He joins us in the midst of our circumstance. Our God does not remain untouched by the messiness and ugliness and brokenness of our lives, but comes right into the middle of it and redeems it from the inside out. It tells us that God imparts value to our bodies. I have a friend whose sister and her family are fundamentalist missionaries. When they go to other countries to win souls for Christ, they refuse to feed folks until they confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In explanation, they tell my friend, what good does it do to save their bodies if they're going to spend eternity in hell? To this, God says, poppycock. He tells us that he intimately cares about our bodies. There is no bringing a soul to God without bringing the body. All of who we are is redeemed. Nothing is left out. More than this, our human nature is transformed and elevated in the incarnation. We are shown definitively what it means to be created in the image of God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Jesus makes the Father known because he is grounded in God's heart. Another translation says, the son who rests in the bosom of God reveals God. In Hebrew thought, to rest in one's bosom is to express the deepest intimacy possible in human life. So I want us to hear this. Jesus doesn't make God known through rules and statutes. He doesn't make God known through devout practices and moral impeccability. He makes God known through loving relationship. And this is the message for us. We will know God and we will make God known through loving relationship. Jesus, this, this embodiment of God, opens a path of intimate relationship with God that was previously beyond our reach. Early in that conversation where Moses asked to see God, he says, show me your glory, I pray. 
And God responds, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Grace and mercy. In today's passage, we're told, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. God comes full of grace and truth. Truth drenched in grace. And the truth about God is that he comes gentle as a babe in grace and mercy, in goodness and love. God deigns to come to us in the mess and the monotony of our very lives. He comes to us in the midst of our fears and our pain and our shame And he declares, my truth is grace and mercy. He comes to us disguised as loving relationships with our families and friends. He comes to us disguised as gentle care for one another. He comes to us disguised as an embrace in the middle of our loneliness to tell us that we are never alone. He comes to us disguised as bread and wine in the Eucharistic feast. God comes to us disguised in all these ways. Paula Darcy says, God comes to us disguised as our lives. Jesus tells us, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus has fleshed out God's love for us. And God can never be a stranger to us again. This is the gracious gift of the incarnation. And so to John's statement that no one has ever seen God, we can now reply, oh yes, we have. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with us to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Amen.